Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 8. We'll be reading verses 31 through 38. As you, as you turn there, I feel compelled to share my favorite Irish blessing. It was on my mom's pillow uh, growing up. And it said this, May those that love us, love us. And may those that don't love us, may God turn their hearts. And if He doesn't turn their hearts, may He turn their ankles so that we will know them by their limping. So I lead the pastors in that prayer every Monday at staff meeting, so watch your step. We don't. We don't pray that. Um, But if you do sprain your ankle, maybe think about that. I'll be reading verses 31 through 37. We're kind of in a series within the series as as Jesus begins to, to end this long dialogue of, him talking about himself, uh, at the end he looks at life and unbelief and the consequences of not believing and how he is uh, the treatment for that unbelief, that, that Christ treats uh, those things. And so this week we're looking at life and unbelief, slavery, slavery. So starting with verse 31, it says this, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered Him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. May God bless the reading of His Word. Now the dialogue here can can be kind of tricky because as we open here, what Jesus is doing in this first couple of statements is He's addressing the people that have just believed. Uh, There's there's a group in the crowd, and and back in verse uh, 31 um, and 32, um, he's, He's addressing those that back in verse 30, and mentioned again in 31, those who had just believed. So, like that's who he's focusing on right at the beginning. But then what we have is those people seeing this belief or trying to step in with their Judaism. They're, they're much like the Judaizers uh, that, that Paul dealt with throughout his entire ministry, right? Is these people stepping up and go, but we are Abraham's children. We don't need anything else. We were, we were born saved, essentially. And so that's what you kind of have in this dialogue. It starts off Jesus talking to the to the believers, and them having, then him having kind of to divert to talk to these people that are rising up in opposition of that belief. What I want us to, the main point I want us to look at this morning is sin has enslaved us to its consequences, but in Christ we are made sons and daughters and find freedom indeed. So the first thing we want to look at is the characteristics of a true disciple. Uh, Jesus uh, says here in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly 
my disciples. Now, you know, Jesus had had recently had a mass exodus of his disciples. Do you remember? Uh, He had the peak of his popularity after the feeding of the multitude. And all these people, this huge crowd came to him. And and there were even those that had kind of been following long enough to even earn that name of, oh, well, those are his disciples. And then Jesus does this long dialogue of where he talks about, I'm the bread of life and I'm here to offer eternal life to everyone. And and, and he began to lose some people. And then he really gets down to, to kind of foreshadowing his death. And he talks about, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood and and man, even the people that kind of had labeled themselves the disciples said, this stuff's too hard. This is crazy talk. And so they left. And so it says it said back in chapter 6, verse 66, when all that took place, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So, so the term disciple, the, 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 the term, it's important to know whether or not it's truly a disciple, not just someone who's gotten a label because they hung out with Jesus, but Jesus wants to say, this is how you know that you're truly my disciple. You truly know that you're not going to turn back, that you do belong to me. And the overarching evidence that, that Jesus gives them here is that if you abide in my word, if that, that we live in and by the words of Christ. Now, I think oftentimes when we hear that verse and, and we, we, we think, okay, I'm supposed to abide in the words of Christ. I think a lot of times our, our, our tendency is to just go into obedience mode and, and to maybe turn back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is, is giving all these commands and, and we begin to judge our life. And, hey, do I look like that? And that's part of it. Yes, that's absolutely part of Living in the words of, of Christ, li- abiding in the words of Christ is about loving His commands and what He's told us to do. But I would argue that that's not the first place we should ever go when we're asking ourselves, am I a true disciple? Let's look at the first and foremost place that I think we should go when we're seeing if we're truly His disciples. That, that's something I believe that is much more foundational in abiding in God's Word. So if we were to break down the things said by Jesus in the first eight chapters of John, okay, if we were to put a column over here and say, these are the commands of Jesus of the things that we're supposed to do. Okay, if we had that column here, and then we had a column where, okay, this is Jesus saying who He is. And this is Jesus calling us to belief. Uh, the first chapter, first eight chapters of John is almost all in this column. It's all about Jesus saying, I am who I say I am. I am, uh, I am him. Back in chapter 4 to Nicodemus in the darkness, he said, I am the son of man that has to be lifted up. In chapter 4 to the woman at the well, he said, I am the fountain of eternal life. In chapter 5, he heals the paralytic and then he claims sonship and making himself equal with God and making everyone mad by saying such a thing. In chapter 6, the crowd he had fed, he claimed, I am the bread that gives eternal life. In chapter 7, he has identified himself as streams of living water. 
And those people that he's talking to that have just believed in, in him, he said, I am the light of the world. So with all that in view, it's not first and foremost simply about seeing if we're keeping the laws or, or living in obedience to everything that Jesus has said. It's far more about first examining our belief in him of who he is. I mean, after all, these people that have just believed, what does it say in verse 28? Right before they believe, it says, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. That's what, that's the word that He's primarily speaking of. If you are, you've got to abide in that belief. You've got to hold on to the belief that I am who I say I am. I am He. And that He's going to do what He said He's going to do. He is the Messiah who will be lifted up first on the cross and then to the Father. Your confidence of being a true disciple is that you live in the reality of the Gospel. You grab hold of Jesus crucified and Jesus resurrected and you don't let go of that as long as you live. Now, should, should we examine our lives in the metrics of obedience? Yes. Because those that live in the gospel will experience Christ's power, Christ's power for transformation. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will I enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Yes, we as followers of Christ are to obey. But if you first and foremost look to your own obedience to give you confidence of being a true disciple, you're going to make yourself miserable. Because that's not the ultimate hope. The ultimate hope is Christ and what He has done for you on the cross. You set your hope in, in life, the burial and re- death, the life, burial, resurrection of Christ. As Luther said, when I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at Christ, I don't see how I can be lost. So then Jesus lets them know of the privilege of being true disciples. He said, hey, the, 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 the first, the, the proof or the, the confidence of being my disciple comes in abiding in my word, of, of continuing to believe I am who I say that I am. He's going to give us the privileges of, of, of being a true disciple. First, the privilege uh, that, that true disciples will know the truth. They will know the truth. Those who first of all believe in Christ, they become His students. After all, the, the word disciple means learner. Did you know that? That the word disciple means to be a lifelong learner of someone. To, to just take on their teachings and and to love and to study their teachings, that is being a disciple. Remember what, what Peter said back in verse chapter, uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 69. He says, And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Believing is only the beginning. These people, are, are they're, they're babes. They just believed seconds ago. And Christ says to him, you're going to know the truth. 
The more that you live your life, the more that you examine my words, the more you're going to know the truth and and you're going to be anchored in the truth. And that, folks, is wonderful. What a privilege we have to be lifelong learners of Christ. What a privilege we have to be promised that we will know the truth. (coughs) Upon our conversion to Christ, we stand at the beach in a vast ocean of knowledge of God that is ours to explore. Folks, let's take every opportunity we have. Let's take every opportunity we have to know the truth. Let us be involved in Sunday school. Let us come to Sunday worship and worship God and hear from His Word. Let us go to connection group and sit with others and and learn the Scriptures. And let us on our own Outside of scheduled church times, let us take the Wyatt primer uh, that many of you are receiving daily now by email and, and any other tools that, that, that you find or, or just, just open up the Bible and begin to read it. That's what a disciple is. A true disciple is one that, that wants to learn, that, that, that seeks out every opportunity to learn from God's words pursue him daily so are we to pursue truth so that we might that he might be pleased with us no he's already we're, we're already pleased uh, he's already pleased with us in Christ rather we pursue truth so that we might know joy and freedom and freedom the true disciple will receive freedom through the truth uh, justification, first of all, brings freedom. To be justified is us being declared righteous before God through the work of Christ. Romans 8 starts off this way, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The freedom we have in our justification is its almost scandalous. I mean, you would think a God who wants to be in control of our lives would would not remove the condemnation. You would think He would be like all the other gods and say, you step out of line, my wrath is back on you. But in the justification that He gives us in Christ, He says, there's no condemnation anymore. That you as 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 connected as you as being in Christ. You are in Christ. There's no condemnation. You walk in my pleasure now. I mean, that's it's amazing. That is freedom. That is true freedom. So does freedom from the law simply mean that we, we don't have to follow the law anymore? Does freedom in Christ mean to be set free to do whatever we want, including sin? Of course not. Because not only does justification bring, bring freedom, sanctification brings freedom. <coughs> Paul answers this exact question in Romans 6. And so I'm just going to read. It's a, a little bit of a lengthy section of Scripture, but man, I, I don't want to try to say what Paul has already said. In verse 15, it says, What then 
Are we to sin because we are no no longer, uh, or we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the hearts. You've been changed through the gospel, become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because you are natural, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. (coughs) In summary, like the great Bob Dylan, the poet of our time, has said, you've got to serve somebody. You're going to either serve sin and unrighteousness or you're going to serve God and righteousness. The slavery, as he says here in these words, uh, is of sin. The slavery of sin leads to death. But slavery to God brings sanctification. It brings fruitfulness. And, and in the end, it brings eternal life. When we see the gospel clearly, when we see it for what it really is, the amazing, amazing love of what Christ has done for us, then we, it should change the way we see the commands of God. It should change the way we see the law of God as not just some rules sent down by a dictator, but rules that are sent by a loving Father that wants the very best for us. He wants freedom for us. He wants joy for us. He doesn't confine sexuality to marriage because He's a killjoy. He confines it there because that is the place where it grows to its fullest and most beautiful potential. He doesn't command us to control our anger just because He wants us to have to control us. He he does it because He wants our relationships not to be destroyed. He wants our relationships to be fruitful. His commands not to steal. It it isn't about that He doesn't want what what we need. He doesn't want us to have what we need. It's that He realizes that the beauty of work and and, and working and sharing and, and the joy that comes from that. God's laws are handed down by, by the One who gave us the Gospel and, and gave us Christ so that our hearts could be changed in our relationship to these laws. <coughs> slavery to God is, a slave, is slavery to a loving Father that wants more joy and satisfaction for us than we can possibly imagine. Living in the truth of God's Word and the power of Christ is ultimate freedom. 
So we see opposition. The opposition, opposition of being a true disciple rise up, rises up here. In verse 33, they answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and has ne- have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? <coughs> Their first point is that, first of all, we were born as Abraham's children. We were born in God's good graces. That was the great struggle of the Jew to believe the gospel. They thought they were already okay with God. They felt like simply having pure, a pure bloodline back to Abraham made them secure before God. Salvation in their mind was their birthright. They were born right with God. And then there was a slavery that was unseen to them. They say, <coughs> we have never been enslaved to anyone. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Well, they don't know their history very well because they were a nation born in slavery in Egypt. They were a nation taken away into slavery, into Babylon. And even this very day in which they're speaking, they're subjects of Rome. But those in slavery don't always see it, do they? they always National pride can sometimes get in the way of seeing the truth. But Jesus clarifies anyway that he's not even really talking about any type of national slavery. What he's talking about is being a slave to sin. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. Now John really favors this term practice of sinning. Uh, He also uses it in his epistle, 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's sin abides in, uh, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So, is there a difference between sinning and practicing sin? I believe that there is. We all know that sin is a reality every day for us, even as as Christians. And what is being referenced here is a giving over yourself to sin. It's it's saying, you know what. I know this is a sin, and I don't care. I like it. I want it a part of my life. That's practicing sin. sin uh, Practicing sin isn't a a lifelong battle with a certain, hey, I'm a prideful person, and so I have to fight that all the time. And sometimes I lose. That's... Practicing sin is just giving yourself over and saying, I'm not fighting it anymore. And a Christian does not do that. So Jesus is saying here, you Jews are not free. You've been giving yourselves over as slaves of sin. What you don't realize is that you think your birthright has earned you salvation, but actually your sin and rebellion has taken you out of that birthright been taken out of those promises he's saying your disobedience has has taken you out of the sonship of god he's telling them despite the fact you think you're free and you think you're a son of god you're not you're not your rebellion has taken you out of all that and so we see the freedom achieved in christ as a true disciple 
next. In verse 35, he says, The Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Slaves don't remain in the home. They're dispensable, right? When we look at the past and the horrors of slavery, (coughs) we see that slaves were dispensable. Sons and daughters are not. The Son, who is Jesus Christ, remains in the house forever. He is the recipient of all the promises of God. And if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. When you connect yourself to the Son, when you connect yourself to Christ in belief, then you become a son and daughter of God, and therefore you are in the house forever. You are a recipient of the inheritance of Christ because you're in Christ, that's free indeed, folks. That's amazing, amazing freedom. Look to Christ and the Son will set you free. Matthew 11, 28-30 are some of my most favorite, cherished verses of Scripture. And Jesus is speaking. He says, Come to Me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love this invitation of Christ. Saying whatever burdens you carry, what I'm going to put on you is so much lighter. It's a burden that will be your joy to carry. You who are burdened by your failure to keep the law, take Christ's yoke upon you. You who are burdened by the destruction of sin over your life, take Christ's yoke upon you. You who are burdened through sins committed against you, take Christ's yoke upon you. Whatever your burden, whatever you burden is your burden, Apart from Christ, his pro- uh, whatever your burden is apart from Christ, His promise is true that His yoke is easier. His yoke is lighter. Look to the Son and you will be free indeed of the slavery of sin. Jesus closes by saying this, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because your words find no place in you. My words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. My question for you this morning is, will His words find a place in you? Have they found a place in you? Have you turned to the Son? Have you turned to the Son? Have you taken His yoke upon you? Have you become that son and daughter that stays in the house forever and receives the inheritance that only comes through Christ? I want to call you to that this morning. And then you Christian who and you struggle with assurance. And, and, and I think sometimes that's because all you do is you look to yourself and you see what's not right yet. You see 
you, you focus in on what, what hasn't been sanctified yet and you say, surely He doesn't love me. Well, that's why you need to look to Christ. That's why you first need to look to Christ. That's why you primarily need to look to Christ and ask yourself, am I believing Him? Am I holding on to Him? Am I living in the beautiful realities of the Gospel of what He did on the cross and His resurrection for me? And that's how we know that we're a true disciple. Yes, yes, yes. We love His law in Christ and, and Christ has set us free to follow His law. Absolutely. But our main assurance could, should come when we look at Christ. Look to Christ, Christian. Look to Christ, unbeliever, and take His yoke upon you for it's light and it's joyous and it's beautiful. As our musicians come and as you stand, I'm going to lead us in a word closing prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for Christ. We thank You for the freedom that we have in Christ. You have set us free in justification and God, You are setting us free every day in sanctification. God, help us to grow first of all in our love and affection and, and hope in Christ and then help us to, to grow in our ability to be more like Christ. Help us to know that we're true disciples. God, if there's anyone here who hasn't taken the beautiful light yoke of Christ on themselves, God, that they're still burdened by the yoke of sin, God, I pray that you would move in their hearts, help them respond to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.